Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, friends, fans, and neighbors. Good to have you with us for this latest edition of the Bill Press Pod and a book I'm really excited about. You know, I don't have to tell you how disgusting Donald Trump is and how much damage he's done and is still doing to our political system. But if there's anything more disgusting than Donald Trump, it's the gang of Republican leaders who line up every day to kiss his ass. You know who they are. Lindsey Graham, Kevin McCarthy, Steve Scalise, Jim Jordan, Rudy Giuliani, Ted Cruz, Ron Johnson, Marco Rubio, Matt Gates, Mo Brooks, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the list goes on and on. All born without a backbone. All in a race every day to see how low they can crawl, how much they can debase themselves before the big orange clown. Not one of them is worthy of public office, and yet they're the leaders of what passes for the Republican Party today. You know, it's about time that somebody dropped the hammer on this band of phonies. And in his new book, Thank You for Your Servitude, Mark Leibovich does just that. You know, when it comes to documenting the behavior of Trump's chicken shit band of sycophants, Mark Leibovich, longtime New York Times political reporter, now with The Atlantic, shows no mercy. Mark Leibovich, so good to connect with you again, my friend. How are you? Everything good? Good, Bill. Thanks. Yeah, everything's great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Well, uh, thank you for your servitude. Thank you for <laughs> exposing mm. all of these monumental ass kissers. I mean, the li- <laughs> it's a long list, Mark. Lindsey Graham, Kevin McCarthy, Mike Pompeo. I mean, Chris Christie, Rudy Giuliani, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz. They're just some of the ones you talk about. Where were these guys when God was giving out backbone? <laughs> um, you know, I think they were raising money for their real <laughs> for their reelections or their elections. I don't know, man. Yeah. It's like it's dispiriting. But like my the, my my point here is that Donald Trump did not have to happen. I mean, I, I wanted to focus on the people who were complicit in complicit in the Republican Party and just sort of rolling over for him. And and yeah, there's a pretty uh, big and illustrious cast of characters here. Well, of many takeaways, Mark, um, I enjoyed the book immensely, by the way. Um, Thank you. I I think that was your main takeaway, that it's not so much Donald Trump, it's the acolytes who made him happen and who (laughs) keep him happening. Yes. Yes. I mean, that is, you you have, as far as I'm concerned, you have identified the correct takeaway, Bill. It's uh, (laughs) the, the, um, I mean, look, Donald Trump has is I think culpable enough for a lot of reasons, but I did not want to write a book that, that focused, you know, on Trump. I didn't, you know, I think there's been plenty out there about the Trump white house and all the outrages that went on. And I wasn't trying to find the killer anecdote where, uh, you know, Oh, there he is feeding dog food to Mike Pence in the Oval <laughs> Office. And, you know, Oh, wow. Can you believe that scoop? Uh, no, I, I mean, I think the story of Washington by and large for the, from the last six, seven years has been 
the absolute dereliction of the Republican Party in stopping this. And, you know, the, the Mitch McConnell, uh, Paul Ryan, Kevin McCarthy, they all got something out of the deal. I mean, they got their judges, they got their tax cut, they got to keep their jobs if they stayed on the right side of dear leader, and they did for the, you know, for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, they made it work for themselves, which is not a new Washington story. But, but you know, to me, it was like this rollicking kind of Sodom and Gomorrah of, of Washington sort of set at the Trump Hotel. And, and you know, we, we lived through it as people who operate and live in Washington and, and it's been unlike anything I've ever seen. And, and it was not always pleasant. And, and so here we are, but I wanted to tell the story of that Washington, um, you know, again, focusing on the enablers, the ones who, um, just sort of just allowed it to happen. Right. Well, the one phrase that un <laughs> one of many that struck, stuck with me from the book is, uh, I think this was originally said about Mike Pompeo, mm -hmm. a heat, a heat-seeking <laughs> missile for yes. Trump's ass. Yes. Um, now, this is a tough question, Mark, <laughs> mm -hmm. but of the list that I originally read, Lindsey mm -hmm. Graham, Kevin McCarthy, Pompeo, Chris Christie, mm -hmm. who is the worst <laughs> of oh. the heat-seeking missiles or the well, worst of uh, the ass-kissers, do you think? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I guess by way of uh, – well, first of all, I'm going to back up. I mean, Susan yeah. Glasser of The New Yorker um, is the originator of the quote from, uh, I think, a State Department spokesperson who <laughs> described Mike Pompeo as a heat-seeking missile for Trump's ass. And, um, I, you know, my feeling is, you know, full credit to Susan for getting the quote, but my feeling is that that quote can never be uttered enough. So <laughs> – um, and you know, the, the, there were a whole party full of heat seeking missiles for Trump's ass. And oh, yeah, I can't get that, that image out of my mind, but he, um, but, but that, you know, it's a kind of a colorful quote, it, but it's also, it has been like the operating sort of principle of the Republican party. I mean, humoring Donald Trump has been the, um, the, you know, it's been the race to do that. So you ask who is worse, who is the worst heat seeker? Um, the heat-seeking head of states. Um, I would say probably Kevin McCarthy. I would put him in a special uh, category because he works so yeah. hard at it. But also he is so powerful. He's the head of the Republican caucus, and he will probably be Speaker of the House. So that gives him kind of a, um alpha lapdog status. You uh, actually refer to him as a, a diamond-level ass-kisser. <laughs> yes, I did. I mean, the thing about writing a book as opposed to writing for the New York <laughs> Times is, you know, you can actually get away with some more colorful uh, synonyms for, like, sycophant or something <laughs> clinical like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, one of the reasons I left the New York Times to go to the Atlantic is, uh, you know, you can use profanity. But, um, yeah, there were, it was a real challenge after a while to find proper ways of saying this. And, um, by the way, another credit is to um and my favorite was uh the brigade of turd polishers uh, pretty good uh charlie sykes of the bulwark came up with that. but no mccarthy really worked at it he's powerful and um so i would give him first among equal status among the ass kickers uh, uh, for those of our uh, listeners who have not yet read the book um but we will put a link up uh so that all of our listeners can buy the book and read it and enjoy mm -hmm. it as much as i did uh yeah. tell us about mccarthy maybe this is the one story that 
uh, illustrates most how far he was willing to go. Tell us about mm-hmm. the starbursts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is sort of become a legend in the annals of Washington suck-uppery. Um, early on in Trump's term, uh, McCarthy got on Air Force One like, you know, people do. It's like a, they, they love riding an Air Force One with, with the president. And um, McCarthy noticed that, that Trump was eating Starburst, the, uh, you know, the pleasing yeah. fruit candy. And mm-hmm. he uh, only liked the pink ones and the red ones. Um, he would discard the yellow ones and the orange ones. Um, you know, as a personal aside, <laughs> I, I personally love the orange and the yellow ones and prefer them to the red ones, but no one really cares about my tastes here. Um, but so McCarthy took note of this and being the, you know, attention to detail, diamond level ass kisser that he is, he arranged to have a whole gift basket or gift jar of Starburst sent over to the White House uh, with the yellows and the oranges already removed. I don't know who the staff person who did that is, or if that person is actually on the tax on uh, the taxpayers. Probably. Dollars. Yeah, good use of your tax dollars. So he had, um, you know, the reds and oh, the pinks sent over, and uh, the president was apparently very moved by the gesture, loved the attention to detail, and uh, that became mm-hmm. a real calling card in what Kevin McCarthy was willing to do to uh, ingratiate himself to Donald Trump. My Kevin, right. My, My Kevin. Yeah. A term I, of ownership it, as much as uh, of affection. But particularly uh, a chicken shit when right in January 6th, for example, McCarthy was mm-hmm. one of the first ones to go out and say, President, the president's responsible. And then those tapes mm-hmm. came out, which, of course, he denied ever saying. But we yeah. had tapes of his tape voice saying, yeah. you know, I'm going to I called him and I told him and you got to yeah. stop this. You got to do something. And he told his members, we <laughs> yeah. have to make sure he's held accountable. And then he yeah. goes down to Mar-a-Lago again. Mm-hmm. Eight days after uh, Trump left Washington, um, McCarthy, uh, you know, went and followed him like a heat-seeking missile for his yeah. ass. For some reason, thought that it wasn't going to get out. Uh, but of course, Trump had already alerted the press. There were helicopters sort of flying above them. And and there's this picture of them um, all over social media and they're both kind of sucking in their stomachs and it's a, they're in like a wax museum room. I don't know. I yeah. Don't know, Mar-a-Lago. So I know you've probably spent a great time. No, me neither. But, um, so, and yeah, then he came back and was like, what? And people were like, what the hell? And like Liz Cheney was irate. And he said, Oh, I was just in the neighborhood, which I thought was an incredibly funny answer. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know, wow. They're like, Hey, I'm like a few miles from Mar-a-Lago. Um, maybe I'll go stop in and, Imagine him stopping at like an edible arrange edible arrangements on the way over to get a gift basket. <laughs> right. Maybe sprinkle in some starbursts for, for his friend. Well, you know, uh, I would agree with you. Kevin McCarthy would be number one, but you must admit it's he really had close competition with sure. Lindsey Lindsey Graham. I mean, Oof. the question mark yeah. I get asked most often as uh, these days is, "What the what hell happened? ever happened to Tucker Carlson?" I know mm. you were yeah. asked so often, what happened to Lindsey Graham? I'll ask you again. Yeah. I mean, how could you go from being John McCain's best friend to Donald Trump's yeah. best friend? You know, it's a, it's a great mystery. Um, you know, I asked him this explicitly, and, and he said, well, I just, you know, anyone who knows me knows I want to be relevant. I want to be at the dice table, meaning... Um, you know, if, if you're, if you don't want to be reelected, you're in the wrong business. So, you know, I get that it's, you know, it's crass, but it's, it's what politicians do, but he takes it up so many notches. I mean, essentially Lindsey Graham wants to be 
he, he gets a real charge out of being in the mix. I mean, the idea mm. that the president, you know, and he can be seen golfing together is not only very powerful and very effective for him politically in South Carolina, but it's cool. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes the, the only psychological explanation for these people is that they just think it's cool and they can't get enough of it. And the freebies and like the, the, the beautiful golf clubs and the pools and the, all, all the things. I mean, you know, it becomes addictive and it sounds kind of depressing because, you know, these are supposedly our leaders. Um, but that drives him a great deal. And, and, you know, here we are. So he loves being the Senator who has the closest relationship to Donald Trump. Uh, and as you point out, though, he's just one of this group. Mm-hmm. The phrase you use is who discarded, were willing to discard every principle that they yeah. once held, right? So yeah. it's, it's beyond being cool. It's really <laughs> the policies, principles don't yeah. matter, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, on one hand, I mean, they've gotten a lot of policy thing. I mean, like the judges. Let's just start with the judges. I mean, that, right. that is not Good a small point. thing, right? But, but yep. you're right. Yep. But I mean... They discarded a lot. I mean, you know, again, just part of it's just self-respect and pride. And like your best friend is John McCain. I mean, like he trashed him to the grave and beyond. I mean, and right. believe me, McCain, this didn't, I, I was actually, I learned, there, there's a lot of this in the book that I didn't quite, I didn't know before, but McCain was pissed. McCain and yeah. Lindsay at the end of McCain's life were, were not in a great place. And, and you know, I, the last conversation I had with McCain before he died, he was like, where's, where's everyone's self-respect? He wasn't talking explicitly about Lindsay. He was talking about his colleagues. And he said, you know, I'd like to think that if I weren't, you know, dying, you know, you know, actually, I I would not be kissing his ass like this. I mean, it all comes down to self-respect and, you know, say what you will about John McCain. I mean, he had a very, you know, kind of, um, you know, he's complicated character, but he had a lot of self-respect. And when you are, uh, when you've lived the life that he has, I mean, how can you not sort of act with a measure of pride and self-respect? But I, I think he was disgusted. And, you know, I think a lot of people were disgusted on John McCain's behalf at, at what Lindsay was willing to do, um, you know, in, in sort of sidling up to Donald Trump. Well, uh, we don't have time to go into each one of the, every mm-hmm. member of the we pack. We need a lot of I time, do, Bill. Yeah. I, no, right. I want to ask you about one more, though, that, sure. that I find intriguing. Uh, and that's Chris Christie. I mean, yeah. look, I read Christie's book. D- yeah. Donald Trump dumped on Chris Christie in every possible way. He wouldn't yeah. make him attorney general. He wouldn't make him uh, secretary of state, yeah. even though Chris Christie, you know, stood behind him in the campaign at all yeah. those news conferences. And Donald Trump made fun of him, called him fatso and all that kind of stuff. Right. And then Chris Christie sticks with him. Then he breaks and he becomes his commentator on ABC. But as you point out, I'll let you tell it. In your last interview with him, you yeah. ask him, okay, are you done with Donald Trump? Would you ever vote for him? You would never vote for him again, would yeah. you? And Chris Christie, <laughs> go ahead. He said, that's a hypothetical. I won't answer it. I couldn't believe that. Thank you for identifying that, by the way, Bill. I, I, no one picked that up on that. But no, it was amazing. I mean, Christie is a man. I mean, the, the thing about Christie is he was, uh, when he was governor of New Jersey, he just like was like, hey, you know, I, when I, there are two ways yeah. to deal with a bully. You got to punch him in the face or right. you can sidle up to him. And then like, you know, apparently, you know, the only person who uh, Chris Christie would sidle up to is not, not the tough guy from Jersey, but the uh, sort of guy from uh, with the dyed orange hair from Queens, right? The drama queen. So yeah, a bizarre character. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I would hope that, you know, again, it gets down to self-respect, but I mean, he's obviously worried about pissing off Trump even at this late date. 
Right. So you might understand why they did what they did while Trump was in the White House, getting elected, even though all mm -hmm. of them really dumped on him while he as right. a candidate, and were just hoping yeah. he would go away or yeah. or crash crash and burn. So maybe you can understand while he was in the White House, why still today, Mark? Yeah. What's your read? These people are still loyal to Donald Trump, yeah. right? Uh, I, I think a lot of it's inertia. A lot of it is path of least resistance. I think, frankly, they're scared. I mean, Trump uh, still has a very passionate following, and that's a lot of the Republican base, and they need the base to um, not be threatening them and not be harassing them and not be harassing their families and voting for them if they run again. I mean, it's all very self-interested. And, and a lot of it is like, you know, again, it's it's kind of thuggery. It's like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't need this level of siege in my life. I'm scared, you know, and, you know, you could say, well, you know, you did sign up for this. This is, you know, you're supposed to be our leaders, but no, I mean, I think a lot of it's just like, it gets down to basic weakness and, and not having the stomach to actually fight, you know, against someone they all know to be not good for, for the country and, and a real problem, especially for the Republican Party, but possibly everyone's problem again. Well, so, so, at yeah. several points in the book, you talk about the uh, said lame defenses, you know, that they come up with, right? Um, yeah. Well, he's going to pivot someday, right? Oh, or uh, yeah, we're just, uh, what's the harm in humoring him, right? Oh, or Classic quote. Yeah. Some, or I, or I, uh, he'll go away someday at all faith. Or the I don't care. I just, yeah. I don't care. Right. Yeah. That was a big Lindsay thing. Yeah. I mean, that was another thing. I mean, you would sort of ask them, um, you know, how do you, they would all get questions, variations on, do you worry about the verdict of history? Do you worry about how your mm -hmm. grandchildren will remember you? I mean, they'll, they'll look back on this time and they'll say, aha, you know, Rudy Giuliani lied for Trump. He was a chief enabler and Giuliani himself would say, uh, you know, screw it or fuck it. Can I say that on this show? Yeah. He, you said it. <laughs> I said it. Sorry. You can beat me out if you want. But um, yeah, I'll be dead. Actually, Rudy said it. I blame him. Uh, yeah. I, I'll be dead. I mean, Trump himself said, I don't care about my legacy. If I lose this election, that will be my legacy. Uh, Lindsay himself said, you know, I don't care. I just don't care. I don't care. I won't be here. Uh, McCarthy looked at me like I had three heads when I asked him <clears> a legacy question. So, you know, they put blinders on and, and, you know, if they can, I mean, McCarthy has convinced himself that if he can be elected speaker of the house, everything else will be redeemed and, um, it'll be worth it to him. And it's depressing as all hell to hear, but that's how they sort of get through their days. And who knows, it might work for them in the short term and it might get them, you know, fancy job titles, but, um, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have yeah. to be uplifting. Is it fair to compare what we see in the Republican Party today to a cult? You know, I've heard that. Um, you certainly hear that a lot. Um, you know, I don't pretend to understand the psychology of cults, but there's something, uh, <laughs> there, there is yeah. something to be said for, for just sort of throwing in with a big charismatic leader that is deeply imperfect and, um, you know, you certainly hear it. And, um, you know, based on the very limited knowledge I have of cults, I mean, there certainly seem to be some commonalities and it's certainly hard to talk some people out of this, um, when, once they're, once they're all in with, with, with Trump. So, um, yeah, yeah it could be something to it. As you point out the Congressman Jamie Raskin has sort of become an expert in cults, right? And he sees yeah. a lot of, a lot of analogies to, yeah, absolutely. The, big, the yeah. big question is, if, 
if it's it's a religious cult, why Donald Trump, right, as the head of it? But yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, it, it's. Uh, I mean, you know, he is sort of like a he's a weird eccentric, charismatic leader, I guess. In to some, I don't find him charismatic, um, but I I can see how some might maybe. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I remember uh, Barack Obama was asked about him yeah. uh, a few years ago mm-hmm. by you know my, my colleague Jeff Goldberg at the Atlantic and and he said um you know I kind of knew that populism could take hold in in the <laughs> Republican party but I didn't think it would be someone this unappealing or something to that effect and yeah um it is bizarre i mean like of all the characters to like have such a following right not exactly a Mother Teresa type. No. Uh, Mark Mark Leibovich, our guest today on the Bill Press Pod Dynamite new book called Thank You for Your Servitude, mm-hmm. Donald Trump's Washington and the Price of Submission. Uh, Mark, lots more to talk about. Let's take We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back and pick up with some of the other characters that you talk about in the book. Today's podcast with Mark Leibovich brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the great men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone. They're the great people who serve us so well in our big retail stores like Macy's and Nordstrom's, big grocery chains, Safeway and Stop and Shop and all the rest. Our chemical plants, meat processing plants, cannabis plants, the members of the UFCW on the job. We salute them for their good work. Thank them for their ongoing support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website at ufcw.org. You'll be impressed with all the great causes that they're fighting for together. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back on the Bill Press Pod uh, with Mark Leibovich, his book, Thank You for Your Servitude, Uh, a blistering look at all the sycophants or ass-kissers who surrounded Donald Trump, Lindsey Graham, Kevin McCarthy, Mike Pompeo, and all the rest. Uh, Mark, what's your take? Here's another character, difficult to figure out, Mike Mm -hmm. Pence. Mm. You know, five years, he was the ultimate ass-kisser, right? Yes, he was. And then a major break, saving 
our republic, perhaps. But has he really gone that far from Donald Trump? How do we read him? How do you read him? Oh, boy. Pence. I mean, where to begin with Pence? I mean, first of all, I mean, he is a classic, classic, classic um, kind of deputy dog like lap dog right he, he Total. i mean it, even the 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 style like the the bowed head the hushed voice the, <laughs> right. um you know ref, referring to him as my president and i think he, he referred at least 18 times during trump's term to trump um and his broad-shouldered leadership which was which was weird um so yeah i mean he he totally worked at it um and he you know, I don't think he stood up to him once until the bitter end, right? And the bitter end was he, mm-hmm. um, you know, he certified the uh, electoral college votes that were counted in the um, in the um, in Congress that on January sixth, and and that you know won him the ire and the grudge of Donald Trump for uh, probably forever, and almost almost got him hung. I mean, you know, we all remember yeah, this, so. right? Um, you know, there's a whole conversation now. I mean, how much credit does, does Mike Pence deserve for doing that, given what he enabled up to that very point? Um, you know, I'm, I'm of the belief that two things can be true at once. I mean, I think uh, he did the bare minimum, but the bare minimum happened to be important at a very, very kind of pivotal moment in, in our history. So, you know, hats off to, to Pence. But I also think, whoa. And even to this point, I mean, he's, he's sort of he, he never criticizes yep. him. He's no, right. He's the ultimate lapdog. So. Um, still look that he still is. So I, I don't know. I don't know how far it's going to get him in this Republican party, given the grudge that Trump is holding against him. But you know, he's, he's got to live his life too. How about Bill Barr? Is he a white hat or a black hat? Still. Oh boy. Again, bare minimum guy. I mean, you know, it's nice that he stood up at the end. It's nice now that he has been willing to testify before the January 6th commission. Uh, apparently, you know, he was extremely harsh against Trump in, his memoir, um, always be nice if they could do this before they get their big book deals to actually speak out. <laughs> right. Um, and, and also, you know, he's one of these people who, when asked, he, you know, will you support the nominee in 2024? And he said, I, I'd be shocked if I didn't support the Republican yeah, nominee. Yeah, right. So he doesn't rule out supporting Trump, which to me is is quite a tell, right? Um, I mean, it, it's I still can't believe when people do that. And, you know, only pretty much only Liz Cheney and Kinsey I, are like, don't do right. It, so. I was just going to say the one exception that you do talk about, uh, and you interviewed her several times, is Liz. She's not going to vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> no, no she I mean, she did in 2020. I mean, you know, it, it's I mean, she said she regretted it immediately. I mean, I don't I don't I, I, I believe her. But I mean, I mean, it took her a while, too. But I mean, now that she's she's flipped, I mean, she's flipped wholeheartedly and I think has done it quite courageously. And I get a little impatient with with liberal friends who who say oh how can you even you know have any respect for liz cheney after iraq after her father did this and i mean it's like my feeling is when you have sacrificed as much as she has and she'll probably lose her job over this and certainly she'll never be speaker of the house and so forth and when you have paid such a price within your party and have lost so many friends um and you are on you know, what you consider to be the right side of an issue, and I consider to be at the right side of an issue, you should be praised. So, um, yeah, I wish people would, I wish people on the left would, would lay off Liz Cheney or at least, you know, 
um, maybe stop talking about something that happened a long time ago. So anyway, yeah, no, I have great respect for her. I wish there were more of her in the Republican Party. I don't expect her to, you know, agree with Joe Biden like ever. Um, and that's fine. That's why we have two parties. But I think that uh, when, when there is uh, courage being shown, you should you should give give the person credit. Mark, your book starts out in the lobby of the Trump Hotel, which I admit I have visited on two occasions. Mm. Um, do you miss the hotel, Mark? That was a big part of your life, dude. <laughs> you know, uh, purely for, you know, I have to say, I mean, the Trump Hotel was bizarre. I mean, the Trump Hotel was, and I, and I get into this a fair amount in the book. I mean, it was yeah. it was the center of Washington. I mean, it was Republican yeah. Washington. And it was, it was like Rick's Cafe. It was like, you know, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, it was like... <laughs> You had like, like you had these Republican congressmen running around, and you'd have members of the administration. You know, Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, lived there. Rudy was there all the time. You know, always going out to smoke a cigar. I mean, it was quite a scene. I mean, McCarthy would go in. You know, Graham would be going from table to table, being trailed by you know these foreign lobbyists. You know, trying to get a meeting with the boss down the street and. And, um, you know, a lot of reporters would go there, myself included, because you get a lot of work done because, I mean, you know, his people were there and they were out in public and they were usually a little drunk and, and you could pick up yep. a lot of stuff. So I um, and then Trump would, would show up. Once Trump in would a show while. up, you know, more yes. than once in a while. I mean, he he that was the literally the one place outside of the White House where he would agree to go to dinner. Um, huh. you know, he had to be had to be a big Trump property. He needed the big applauded entrance. I mean, it was the ultimate safe space. <laughs> he would go to the BLT um, Prime Steakhouse. He would order a forty ounce tomahawk steak, well done, a shrimp uh, cocktail, um, uh, a uh, let's see, fries. Uh, apple pie or chocolate cake for dessert, unlimited buckets of Diet Coke, chilled just so. I mean, <laughs> how this guy remained alive for four years or, you know, still, or how our democracy remains alive, I'll, I'll never know. But um, yeah, and it was quite a scene. Like people would be, would be standing on the on their chairs applauding and be like, oh, God. you know, tin pot dictator stuff. And it was like the ultimate scene. Um, so yeah, now I don't miss it, but, um, you know, and that scene sort of, was played out you know the coronavirus certainly probably ruined the business right and then he lost which was not on brand um so it was kind of a ghost town there at the end so occasionally see your marjorie taylor greens in there but, but yeah. as you put as you point out he sold he ended up selling the hotel for a hundred yeah. million dollars more than he paid for it so kind of yeah. doesn't that sort of sum up the entire trump presidency yeah i mean it's sort of a yeah, even age old Washington thing. I mean, it's yeah. failing upward, right? I mean, right. Yeah. Not yeah. only does, did, does like this abandoned place, I mean, look, in, in fairness, I mean, it's at the old post office building. It's a beautiful place. Um, it's a nice building, nice location. So, I mean, I guess in real estate or hotel real estate, it's a, it's a desirable place, but yeah, I mean, it, the place was doing miserably at the end. I assume it was losing a ton of money and he got a hundred million dollar profit. Um, and also, I mean, it's sort of, it's emblematic of, of politics when you can fail upward by getting impeached twice and getting booted out of office and starting an insurrection and losing the house and the Senate and the white house and still, you know, sort of wake up a few weeks later as the front runner for your party for the next time around. I mean, uh, and and people, or kissing and pocket, his ring and stuff, and pocket a hundred million dollars. So, um, yeah, I, I know, I know you're on a tight new book uh, schedule here, Mark Leibovitz. So you just touched on uh, the question I want to let uh, leave you with, and that mm. is, where does all of this go now? Will Trump, do you believe, 
run for re-election in 2024? And will any Republican dare challenge him in the primary? Yeah, I think he'll run because that's what he does. What else is the guy going to do? Um, I think, um, and yeah, I think someone will probably challenge him and I think he will win. I think right now he's got about, you know, half the party still in his pocket. Um, that's going to probably get him get him there because I assume it'll be a multi-candidate field. And, um, and you know, we, we know what Trump does. If Trump has something in front of him, he's going to try to take it. And we know what the Republican Party right now does, which is nothing. So, I think the same dynamic is basically in place, and and I think we might be stuck with him if he if he's able to remain healthy, and um, you know we're all here in a few years. So uh, yeah, buckle up. It should be really fun, huh? Mark, later in the week we're going to have the final hearing. We think of the January sixth committee yeah. uh, about what Donald Trump did on January sixth. I just want to point out that I learn from your book something I've never seen reported anywhere else, mm-hmm. uh, and that is Stephanie Grisham former uh, top aide to the first lady, and then she became press secretary, never held one press briefing, by the way. But she said that on that day, sitting in the dining room off the Oval Office, watching Mm. what was happening at the Capitol, Donald Trump kept saying, quote, look at all those people People. fighting for me. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Um, I mean... I, it's like, look, and he, I, I sort of dwelled on that. And I mean, that was, I mean, Stephanie Grissom, I mean, a lot of people sort of dismiss her outright and yeah, it's easy to do that. But I mean, she, she, at least she told the truth and, you know, she's, but I mean, to me, she, and I assume she testified before the committee um, probably privately, but yeah, I mean, th- that's a fascinating dynamic and it's just really kind of sad, but um, mm. yeah, that's to me, yeah. um it sort of goes to the kind of warped psychology that we're dealing with here. Yeah. We saw the worst of America. Donald Trump saw what he believed to be the best of America, as you point out in the book. The book, again, is Thank You for Your Servitude. It's just out. It's a great book. Very important read. Uh, Again, a link to buy the book on the episode notes of this podcast. Mark Leibovich is the author. Mark, thank you so much. Congratulations, and thanks for uh, spending so much time with us today. Bill, always a pleasure. Uh, thank you. Uh, gratitude. Servitude. <laughs> gratitude. Uh, I'll see you soon. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap with Mark Leibovich. Uh, again, the book is Thank You for Your Servitude. Can't recommend it too highly. Lots of great stuff in there by Mark Leibovich. Uh, and a link to buy your copy of the book you'll find in the episode notes to today's podcast. Now, we'll be back on Friday with our roundtable, and I can't wait because Thursday evening is the final hearings, so far as we know, of the January 6th Select Committee. They're going to be focusing on what Donald Trump was doing in the Oval Office for three and a half hours while his gang of armed supporters was attacking the United States Capitol. Mark Leibovitz talks a lot about this in his book. We'll be watching the hearing Thursday night and then talking all about it with our political reporters on the roundtable on Friday. You won't want to miss the hearing. You won't want to miss the roundtable. So take care of yourself. Have a good week. Come back and see us on Friday with the roundtable on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.